O Lord God, we give thee thanks and praise for, for this day, for a beautiful day. We thank you, Lord, for, your, uh, for this particular freedom that we have to, to talk to you, to discuss things about you, to read the scripture, opening it, and then learn more about who you are and what you have done for us and what you want from us and you've always requested from us. We fail you, we hurt you. In a, in a very horizontal way, we've been hurting you and also in a vertical way by hurting our neighbors and our friends and our families. And may we ask for forgiveness on this matter. Again, thank you for your, for your love. Thank you for your um, understanding. And as we continue, Lord, to talk about your word in Joshua 24, today we'll be discussing about covenants and what are covenants and what is a covenant, how important it is. And next week we'll be continuing on with Joshua 24 about serving. And we should pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua 24, let us read. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel to Sechem. If you have your Bibles, please do open them or in your cell phones. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond uh, the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned um, the hill, a country of Seir, Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his uh, sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I um, afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your fathers out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians uh, pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, he brought the sea uh, over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived uh, east of Jordan. They uh, fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of, the, of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent to, the, to Balaam, son of Bor, Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, uh, Girgasites, Hevites, and Jebusites. So many names, right? But I gave them into your hands. This is the God of Israel giving all these people to them. 
because of his power and love. I sent the, the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and, and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and um, olive globes that you did not plant. We'll stop from that point. If you look at what's happening here, God gave the Israelites everything that they, they needed. And yet at the very end, we know what happened. Covenant. What's the relationship of what I read to the word covenant? And what's the difference between a covenant and a contract? Recently, we don't talk much about it. Nowadays, we seldom discuss, talk, or even study about covenants. But what's the difference? Uh, I hope this works. Well, sorry about that. Okay. I'm going to give you examples and tell me if it's a contract or a covenant bills who has bills I think everybody has bills bills is very known in my house he's a very popular guy okay when I see the mailman come in the first question is is bill there bills is it a contract or a covenant it's a contract because you have to pay it at a certain point in time if not you'll be charged Purchase orders, if you're working in a business and running a business, or if you're a buyer, what are purchase orders? They are a contract. Pricing or scheduling agreement. In a business to run, right, they need, you need to have fixed pricing. If not, you'll be billed all the time with different pricing. And the scheduling agreement is that, the, that your supplier or whoever it is has to meet that. If not, your business will go down. The Bible, the Word of God. Is it a covenant or a contract? Covenant. We'll know that more later. A non-disclosure agreement. Anybody knows what an NDA is? NDA is strictly between two parties as well. You cannot disclose anything as to what the other person is telling you. And that goes with the business. You have to sign. It's good for 10 years. And basically, it's a contract. Mortgage, lease. It's a contract. <laughs> Very well so. <laughs> you have to do that, right? Uh, for students, tuition fees. You need to meet that. It's part of your contract. Long-term agreement. There's short-term, there's long-term, there's mid-term, there's anything, any of a term. They are contracts. We, we, we live in a world of contracts. But we also live in a world, in a godly way, of a covenant. Marriage. Is it a contract or a covenant? <laughs> Why is it that in the document per se, it says marriage, contract, right? God made it as a covenant, but God decided, uh, but people, man decided to be a contract. Because sometimes it ends in a very nasty way, and it becomes a contract. And you even have no, new prenups or something like that to talk about if you have lots of money before a marriage. But God intended it to be a covenant. If your marriage is established in a covenant, then the Lord will bless that. 
because you have promises made. The cross and the resurrection. That is a covenant. It's a problem. Sorry, it's a promise. It's been done. And you will see later. The relationship of all these things. What is a covenant? In Hebrew it says berit. It's a binding, binding promises of um, two parties. You and God. Okay, it's not multiple. It's you and God. Okay. Accomplished. What's that? Accompanied by signs and ceremonies. Usually it's accompanied like weddings and marriages, right? There are ceremonies. There's things to do. There's singing. There's dancing. And then... At the end, you do your promises, you make her promises, your commitment, and then sign. That's your contract, but don't forget, with God, it's a covenant. It contains defined obligations and commitment on both sides. Contract has the same thing, right? If you look at it, it has the same thing. But the difference is this. It differs from a contract because a covenant is relational and personal. It cannot be not personal and relational at the same time. That's why God created that. It's very personal to Him, the covenants He has done. There are five key covenants, key, I'm saying the word key, because I know people will say, oh, there's seven, there's eight, there's a lot. But there's five key covenants that we will be discussing in a way. And uh, one of them is the Noah, no, how do I pronounce it? Noahic, Noahic covenant. And it's in Genesis, if we look at that, that's in Genesis. And the main scripture is Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15. God enters a formal relationship with Noah and all living creatures, promising that despite humanity's evil, he will never again destroy them. Rather, he will preserve the world as he works towards fulfilling the promise. Okay? It is basically a scripture saying, um, you know, he was ready to destroy the world because of sin. There is no harmony in the number of the divine covenants, to be honest, as it said. The, there's five, and what we're starting here is the five, five explicit covenants that form of a foundation of the Bible. Um, God was about to destroy the world at that time because of sin, because of disobedience, because of breaking anything, anything that he created for. He was inviting humans to partner with him in feeling and ruling the world. That was the creation all about. Creation was supposed to be for Adam and Eve to rule uh, the earth, to be the dominant figure. And yet what happened was it was destroyed by a serpent or by whatever kind of, of animal would that be, destroying the relationship between God and man. Scripture, Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offsprings and her offsprings and shall bruise uh, your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is the main scripture for that. God was so not happy with what happened and therefore he, he had to do something at the very end and then this destruction came about but he stopped it with the way that God wanted to, show, to, to, to save it. After Adam and Eve's expulsion from Eden, the narrative is pretty, pretty bad. That's in uh, Genesis 4. Cain sides with the serpent, killing his brother in cold blood, and a man named Lamesh 
uh, or Lamech brags about his murderous chauvinistic ways, Genesis 5, repeats a refrain and he died and eight times revealing how death reigned over humanity uh, in Genesis 5. That, that's meant to show the rapid advancement of evil, evil after evil. Sin has enveloped the world. God sends a destroying flood upon the earth to purge it from wickedness, making way for a restored creation that will begin with Noah and his family. And there's a promise. Does it have any requirement at that time? None. It's an unconditional covenant grounded in the promise of God to never again destroy the world until redemption is fully accomplished. What's the sign? Lately, it's been raining, clouds after clouds, darkness, and what do you see at the end? A rainbow, and that's the sign of God. Genesis 9 is how uh, I always say God's sense of humor. So Genesis 9, 12 to 17, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set um, my bow okay, in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is in on the earth. So when you see a rainbow, it's covenant between God not to destroy the earth. Um, every time there is a rainbow, actually people are so excited because it's the end of the rain, right? Oh, there's the rainbow. So the storm, everything will end soon. And that's a, a, a hope. God has withdrawn his weapons of war and his warrior's bow will remain at the rest until the final day of judgment. Next, the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, we will not read all those scriptures, don't worry. But I have to drink water for a while, sorry about this. God enters a redemptive partnership with Abraham, developed progressively in those scriptures. He promises Abraham what? What did he promise Abraham? Anybody knows? Any takers, I would say? Right now, some of our families don't like this because of economy, uh, so expensive, you know. But God promised a huge family that will inherit promised pieces of land in Canaan and bring universal blessing to all humanity through his family. You can remember these promises like offspring, land, and universal blessing. Okay, now that's being destroyed by the enemy. Family, what family? I would rather have a dog than a child. It's so hurting, right? When you see young couples having to decide to keep a dog than having a child because they are expensive. But in all honesty, uh, with my daughter as a witness, she worked uh, for a while in a in a vet, how expensive the dogs are when you bring them there. Very expensive, <laughs> okay? So, and I, I, cannot, I cannot comprehend that because God's blessing of having children is always a blessing 
There's no way it should not be. The covenant with Noah provided the circumstances in, I hope I said it right, in which redemption could come but wasn't redemptive in and of itself. Evil continued to reign over the world itself. Evil continued to world to, to reign, continued to reign. I keep on repeating, continued to reign, even until now. Traces the downward spiral of mankind, peaking in the story of the Tower of Babel, or Babel. There humans tried to overthrow God's authority by building a new world centered to exalt themselves above God. It was humanity's way of giving God the finger, revealing the nature of the human heart. God scatters the nation in judgment, and we're left to wonder. Until now, we're wondering. Until now, we're wondering. Muriel said earlier about the French and English song, and that will be singing in tongues. Actually, you were right. Because singing in tongues is singing in different languages. So if you know three, four languages and you sing a song, suddenly you speak Chinese without even studying, you are speaking in tongues. That's how powerful it is. And God can give you that. The situation is this. Noah, on that, at that point in time, again, evil was totally, totally, totally uh, at, at the ramp, uh, rampant. But he, he did, God did scatter the nations. How in the world will humanity be saved? That was the question. Then in a shunning act of grace, God selects Abraham and calls him into a coven, covenantal relationship. Abraham is to leave the land or his land and follow God wherever he leads. Walking blamelessly before God and training his family to do what is right and just and keeping circumcision in every generation. This is both by a conditional and unconditional covenant. God and man each have a part to play. But ultimately, this promises will be fulfilled because God will see, it, see to it that they come to pass. God controlled. What's the sign? If Noah, there's a rainbow. For Abraham, it is what? Circumcision. And uh, I, I know it's not being practiced nowadays because of what we have in the gospel. But at that time, that was key for every chosen children of God. And God said to Abraham, As for you and you, uh, um, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring offer uh, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is God speaking. Who, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house, Brought with your money, uh, uh, bought with your money from many foreigners who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and bought, you know, shall surely be circumcised. That's the rule. That was God's uh, sign of the covenant. So shall my covenant be in your flesh as everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised is the flesh of, 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 his, of, of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He, shall, uh, he, he has broken my covenant. That was very strict. A symbol setting this family apart to God, showing that their fertility and future lay in God's hands. Right now, or presently, we have that, and when you read this, you will, how will you understand God, right? Um, requiring men, especially children, eight, eight days old only, 
to be circumcised. It's a, it's a, sometimes it's a taboo discussion, but it has been discussed before. And if you look at back, it's really a health purpose. It's, a, it's really nothing much but a health for, to be separated uh, from among the other people at that time. So that is your Abrahamic um, covenant. Number three, Mosaic covenant. God rescues Israel from slavery. We know that. In Egypt, and promises to make them in his own treasured possession. A holy, set-apart nation. This is what now we call the chosen people. They have separated the people. He has chosen these people. And he, he, even before, there was a chosen people. But then this one, because of sin again, okay, before of failures, because of shortfalls by the Israelites, they were sent to slavery. That's what happened. And if we are of the same boat that we keep on failing God, failing God, we will all be slaves in a different way. We might not be working on big stones and creating, you know, whatever, the pyramid or whatnot, but we will be slaves of our own sin. Earlier I prayed about, you know, if I offended somebody and everything, I would really pray that hopefully forgiveness will reign in our church, not unforgiveness. Hopefully forgiveness will reign in our church so that we will all be blessed. Because it's so obvious. That's what God is requiring us to do. We need to talk. We need to discuss things. Forgiveness is very key. The Wednesday uh, study helped a lot. It really will help us a lot. And I've been, you know, being, I've tried my best to be present uh, with, the, with the Wednesday Zoom meetings. And it's been a blessing. So he rescued these people. He, God, Yahweh, will be their God, and they, Israel, will be his people. Moreover, they will be a kingdom of priests that mediate his goodness and glory to all nations. An epic role in redemptive history. And we have that in Scripture in Exodus 19 and chapter 19 and 24. We will not read that. We'll be here until Christmas. I mean, Exodus opens with Abraham's offspring multiplying rapidly in Egypt. But at the end, they were out of Egypt with God's redemptive action. What is the requirement with this covenant? This is a conditional covenant of grace, to be honest. Israel was to obey the terms of embodied in all the laws given in Mount Sinai. That's the Ten Commandments. God promised to bring blessings if they followed his commands, but curses if they destroyed. Deuteronomy 28. What's the sign? What's the sign of this covenant? You have the rainbow. You have circumcision. What is the sign of this? Based on the Ten Commandments. It's the Sabbath day. It's the Lord's day. We follow a Sunday day, Sunday worship day because of, our of, of Christ's resurrection. They follow a Sabbath day on, at that time. And even now, and you'll be surprised, they actually don't go Sabbath day. They go on what day, what time, on what day? Friday, sundown. That's how they start. I was um, confronted one time by a Jewish lawyer, my part-time work. And he said to me, do you have your Bible with you? I said, I have, but... Uh, and then he brought his Torah. His name is Mr. Littner. And he told me, why are you Christians start your day on a Monday? And, uh, and start your day on a, on a day said, well, it's a day. You wake up, you know, and you're wrong, says to me. And he was like 90 years old. 
Um, he's a really good, good, good lawyer and everything. It's an eye-opener when you talk to them. Said to me, you, you guys are wrong. You got it wrong. Then he opened the beginning of Genesis and he says to me, how did God created the world? And he says, on the first day was what? Darkness. And then light. He did not create the world like light and then darkness. He created the world darkness and then light. So why do you start your day in day? And they start in darkness. That's why they worship after sundown. That is their first day. And it's, it's like, okay. <laughs> so, but he, you cannot argue with him in a sense, right? Because he's very much into that. He's a lawyer and everything. So I just had to kind of pray with him. And it, it was a blessing. Um, I mean, after that, after that, after four years, the age of 94, he passed away. But what I'm only saying is that Sabbath day is very key, important part of a covenant with God among the Israelites. We have to respect that because we're part of the family, in a sense. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is the sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to, wow, death. Whoever does any work on it, the soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six, day, six days you shall be, you shall work, be, your work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of solemn rest, holy unto the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death again. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. So even now they're doing it. But at times I see there's hypocrisy to what they do too. I think in every, in every people, in any nation, we see that. Because the instruction is, you don't work. You don't do anything. Even turning the switch in your house, you can't do it. So they have a lady come into the house to just to turn on the switch. I'm not joking. This is really what's happening in some houses. They cannot drive from their house to the synagogue. But since the synagogue is far away, you know what they do? They drive to a corner where people will not see them. They put the car parked, and then they walk. And I've seen this because we have synagogues in our area, and we see them walk, but they park it somewhere because they, they live far, far away. Um, and, but, you know, this is breaking the rule too. God said what it has to be said, it has to be done. That is part of the covenant. And we have to be careful in criticizing them. And last would be, well, not last really, is the Davidic covenant. God established David as king of, over Israel and promises to make his name great. He'll give David a royal kingdom in which promises um, made to Abraham and Israel will be fulfilled through his lineage. God raised up a, a Davidic descendant who will build a house for the Lord and his throne and kingdom will last forever. God's steadfast love will never depart from him. And this is in Samuel 7, if you have time to read. What's the requirement? David and his descendants must remain faithful to God. That is God's request. Please be faithful to me. Walk in covenantal faithfulness and lead Israel to obedience to the covenantal laws. However, there are conditions and unconditional elements to this covenant. Despite the king's failures, God guaranteed a faithful Davidic king on the throne. Is there any sign? None. There's no sign. But he was just asking for them to be faithful to him. Now, 
with all these things, we go to the new and a better covenant. You will like this more and better than any other covenant. It is in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, Matthew, Luke, you know, the coming of, the announcement of a Savior. It's existing in, uh, uh, explained in Hebrews as well. The new covenant is a culmination of God's saving work to the people. His chosen people, people failed, not even recognizing the Savior Christ, right? They rejected him, and therefore God opened it to the Gentiles. You know, we need to thank God, and we need actually also maybe partly to thank the Israelites for rejecting Christ, and now we're, we're getting it. It's a not-so-good thing to say, but because we need to pray for them too, and that's what God is asking us to do, to pray for them as a chosen people until now. There's no other chosen people. Okay, I have, I have, I have heard other countries, oh, now we are the chosen people. No, <laughs> that's, that's not true. They are still the chosen people. We have to pray for them. And there's a reason why. You will see that later. His promises to make an everlasting covenant with his people in which he will write his law into their... Where's the law now? Written in what? Into your hearts. It's not written anymore in stones. It's now being written into our hearts. We have to remember. We have to keep it to heart. Bring complete forgiveness of sin. Put His Spirit in them to empower them to love and obey His commandments. It's not going to be easy, right? Raise a faithful Davidic king to rule over them. Bring them back into the land to reunify them into one people of God. And cause them to be the light of the nations. Christ's redemption is the ultimate covenant. It's a link of all the past covenants and became Christ. And he was, his, he was the sacrifice for us. He was the reconciling point to us. Jesus Christ is basically a covenant by itself. Jesus Christ, the gospel. And you know what? There will be a wedding soon. Do you believe in that? And who's going to be the bride? Who's going to be the groom? The bride will be the church, the believers. Because Christ, the plan of God is that we are, or the, the true believers in Christ, you will be, or we will be, the bride. And I believe women, you know, when you're the bride, it really makes you happy, right? Because the focus is in you. And that's what God wants us. The focus will be on us. And Christ will be the groom who welcomes us. And that's the marriage covenant. Not written in any contract. Only our hearts are required. The new covenant is clearly introduced by the prophets in the context of total failure. The kings, the people, and even the religious leaders failed to keep God's commands. It, it turns out that God's covenantal people were nothing but covenant breakers. Curses of the covenant came upon the people as they were exiled, exiled in Babylon. The prophets at that, at that point gave us hope that God would one day bring about a new covenant. The waiting, the anticipation of this covenant pushes the, sto the story forward into the pages of the New Testament. We anticipate to that. We've been anticipating 
The Jewish people, or the Israelites, have been anticipating to that, and yet they rejected it. Here we are, grasping it, getting it, what is now holding on to it, and we, we hope that this covenant is to be shared to other people, so they'll be part of the marriage. That is an obligation. Well, some people would say, ah, we should not be doing an obligation. Honestly, it is really an obligation for us to share the gospel anyways. So that they will be part of the marriage. Not only us, we're so selfish if we think about that. Our pride sometimes kills us. The prophets at that point gave us hope and would one day bring about a new covenant. The anticipation, as I said, of, the, of this covenant pushes the story forward into the pages of the New Testament where we are introduced to who? The New Testament is introduced to us to Jesus Christ. The one who will fulfill all the prophetic promises and bring about blessings for all the people. There are no conditions to this unconditional covenant of grace. God both gives the promises and brings them about through the work of His faithful Son, Jesus Christ. He completed it Himself. <laughs> There's no requirement. You know why, eh? You know why He did not require anything from us anymore? The only thing we need to do is to believe, follow the words of Christ. Because we always fail anyways. Since the beginning, we've been failing God Covenant after covenant after covenant, we promise to follow. I will follow. You will see that next week. In, 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 uh, in Joshua 24, we will continue reading up to the end. You will see that. Oh, we will serve the Lord. I promise to follow. I will continue the, the renewal of the covenant. Oh, I, I, you know, what's number one? What's priority in our faith? I will do that. I will do that. I will do that. You turn around the following. You just left over and then the following day you're the same guy. We keep on failing and failing and failing. And therefore, God did the covenant to himself. We have no work to do but just to trust and follow Christ. Jesus connects his death this is how it links, okay? I've been so thirsty, sorry. Jesus connects his death to the new exodus, the new covenant that are emphasized in Isaiah and Jeremiah. So that's the link. While Pentecost initiates the new covenant, themes from Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. So the death and resurrection of Jesus and the outburst of the Spirit can be, can be seen as signs to the new covenant. Let us not take away, okay, the resurrection. And that's the mistake of some Christian circles. They only stop but to the death. Oh, it's complete. It's accomplished. No. Christ has to resurrect. <laughs> because if not, it, it does not complete the faith we have. Okay? Everything is in vain if we don't get to the resurrection. If you don't accept resurrection as part of the covenant itself. It was building one another from one another, forming a foundation of our redemption. God saved the world through Noah, began redemption through Abraham, Establish a distinct people through Israel. Pledge a shepherd king through David. And then accomplished all of these covenantal promises through Christ. That's how it's linked. The whole scripture is a covenant by itself. So if you take out the old and just read the new, it does not make sense. We need to reference everything, but at the end, Jesus Christ is the 
fulfillment of that covenant. With each covenant, God, God's promises and plans to save the world through the seed of the woman become clearer and clearer until we finally see that redemption can only come through King Jesus, His only begotten Son. Jesus is the covenantal highlight. This actually study is, um, is the foundation of the Bible if we look at it. The New Testament presents Jesus as the offspring of Abraham who trusted his father. Right? We know that. Again, I will read that portion so that we will not forget about it. God saved the world through Noah, began redemption through Abraham, established a distinct people through Israel, pledged a shepherd king through David, and then accomplished all of his covenantal promises through Christ. Aren't we, aren't we thankful about that? People from every nation, tribe, tongue, we know that in the scripture, who are joined to Jesus in faith are part of God's covenant family and, and experience the rich blessings of the new covenant. We're really thankful that we became part of that and it's open to anyone who accepts Christ as their Lord and Savior in a personal way. Remember the covenant? It's a personal between two parties and not with anybody else. That is a covenant. Do you see someone as a third wheel in a wedding? That's bad. Because the wedding or marriage should be a vow between a man and a woman created by God to do a covenantal promise and not a contractual promise. There's no date. Remember the promises? Till death do we part. Sickness and in health. Richer and poorer. What else? There's a lot of promises there. Be careful. And, uh, but there's always a third support to that marriage. Don't forget. Not the third wheel, but the third support. And that's your foundation, and that is Christ. If you base your marriage covenantal, okay, with Christ, then you'll be forever. I'm pretty sure about that. Um, before I got married, I, I was given by my boss the secrets to, to a successful marriage. Sure. And a small notebook really a small notebook. I said, what is this? So I opened it. At the front, it says, uh, yes, dear. So when you open it page by page by page, it says, okay, uh, dear, throw out the garbage. Answer should be, yes, dear. Uh, cook for dinner. The answer should be, for the, this is for the husband, okay? Yes, dear. And I went through so many pages, and it was a good sense of humor in a sense. But actually, the real success of a good marriage is when you are with Christ, and that not only yes there, but to both. You need to have to yes Christ. And it's really something that we need to look into. In the new covenant, we get total forgiveness of sins and cleansing from shame. We get new hearts of flesh and the indwelling Holy Spirit, causing us to love, to, to love God's laws and to walk in His ways. We can actually do justice and righteousness and so be a light to all the nations. We can walk in freedom and light rather than sin and darkness. We have bold access to God and stand in the realm of grace. 
We trust that a renewed world is coming where peace and righteousness will reign forever under the rule of King Jesus. And these are all possible because Jesus is the perfect covenant keeper. Let us pray. In John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That completed everything. And thank you, Lord, for that everything. Thank you, Lord, for, for your saving grace. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins. And as I mentioned, Lord, earlier, may, may we have or may forgiveness be over, 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 over on this church. Replacing any bitterness, replacing any, any hurt, replacing anything at all, and be pleasing to you, not to us. We're nothing. Again, thank you for this opportunity that I was able to share. Thank you, Lord, for this strength. I've been really trembling before. And thank you for the prayers of, our, of our, my brothers and sisters, Lord, before I, I came in. I came into the front. For, thank you for the continuous prayer. As we will be continuing this message of next week, a bigger challenge. What do we mean by serve? By serving you. Thank you again, Lord. And this we pray in the most precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen.